Welcome back to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Ozenchuk, and you can follow me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. So today we're going to talk about league-winning upside. I have a player that I want you to buy because he has the he has the potential to win your win you your league. Not just like a casual buy low that might might help you out. This is a guy that could actually win you your league. His name is Cam Newton. He plays for the New England Patriots. I don't know if you guys know this. I feel like a lot of people don't based on what I've been seeing on Twitter. Cam Newton actually was number 16 quarterback in fantasy scoring last season in 2020. He was quarterback 16, 17 more, 17.8 points per game. He did that on the back of 2,657 passing yards. You heard that right. He had 2,600 passing yards and he was the quarterback 16 on the, on the year. That is absurd. He actually had eight passing touchdowns last year and finished quarterback 16 eight passing touchdowns Patrick Mahomes has multiple six touchdown games Cam Newton just put up a quarterback 16 finish with eight passing touchdowns on this season this is stranger than fiction this is so so bizarre so bizarre so what happened let's let's quickly talk about what happened Cam Newton in his career has averaged 7.3 yards per attempt that's not so bad it's not good but it's not bad in 2020 he averaged 7.2 yards per attempt he was right on his career average he was no worse of a passer last year than he has been throughout his entire career a lot of people are saying he's a bad passer he's always been a bad passer that's not his game it's fine if he's a bad passer because he brings the rushing element to the to the game he's a rushing touchdown savant he always has been that's his thing his completion percentage was actually among the best of his entire career he had a 65.8 65.8% completion percentage last year. His career average is 60.1. He smashed it. He wasn't a bad passer compared to Cam Newton last year. He was a bad passer compared to, you know, the average quarterback. Because he's always been a bad passer. 65.8 is nothing to sneeze at though. And then his touchdown rate. This is what really hurt him in the fantasy scoring department. I mean, kind of, because he made up for it with, uh, with rushing touchdowns. But his career touchdown rate was 4.4%. He chopped that in half in 2020 with a 2.2%. He didn't throw any touchdown passes. He only had eight the whole year. So it's not really that surprising that people are down on him. But the question is, why was his passing so abysmal? Because the efficiency wasn't that bad other than touchdown rate. Aside from that, you know, his yards per attempt, his completion percentage, they're right there with his career average or above. But what changed in 2020 from the rest of his career was that the rest of his career, his career average is 32.1 attempts per game. That's a 16 16 game pace of 513 pass attempts. Last year, he had 24 0.5 attempts per game for a 16 game pace of 392 attempts his volume was down 121 attempts below his career average not below his career ceiling below his career average this was the lowest volume season from cam newton's career this may be one of the lowest volume seasons we've seen i don't know in the super bowl era i don't really i didn't go back that far i only look at camp stats i'm sorry it's a really low volume season though like 392 passing attempts is is basically nothing they they more or less didn't believe in the forward pass (laughs) like it's that bad so should we expect some optimism here is there a return to glory for cam newton well when we look at the situation last year his leading receiver's name was jacoby myers unless you're a diehard you probably didn't even know who jacoby myers was coming into this year you dynasty players did but i'm talking the redraft because they had no idea who jacoby myers was demir bird was the second leading receiver on the team demir bird washed out of arizona he could barely get on the field and run four wide receiver sets and they don't have good receivers to begin with and he could barely get on the field 
field. Last year, he was the second leading receiver for the New England Patriots. That's absurd. James White was third. That's not that crazy. He's usually in that range. And then Julian Edelman was six games played was fourth. And then Keel Harry was fifth. There was no one to throw to. Ryan Izzo was the leading tight end. This is a team that used to feature Rob Gronkowski. And there's a ton of bad narratives out there, especially right now with the signing of Jonu Smith about how the the Patriots feature the tight end. The Patriots don't feature the friggin' tight end. The Patriots feature Rob Gronkowski because he's one of the best tight ends in the history of the world. That's why they pass on the tight end. Anyway, that's we're going to talk about that later. We'll get back to that. Right now, we're focusing on Cam Newton. And what I got to tell you is that Cam Newton is severely undervalued. What happens next? Day one of free agency, Bill Belichick goes out and signs... You know, three pass catchers, John U. Smith to play tight end, Nelson Aguilar to be their wide receiver, and Kendrick Bourne to, I don't I don't know what Kendrick Bourne is going to do. He's not very good, so it doesn't matter. Which is saying something that Nelson Aguilar is maybe the best signing of the three. That's kind of scary, but at least they're NFL players. Like, like Ryan Izzo isn't an NFL player. He just isn't. And Jacoby Myers is a nice story, but he's not, like, he's nothing more than a role player. And Demir Bird probably just doesn't belong on the field. Like, he can, he can, he can play special teams. These guys are all going to be in the starting lineup. They have just upgraded their entire receiving core in one day this is a team admitting that their receiving core was terrible and they're apologizing to cam newton for asking him to carry the entire offense on his shoulders last year it was him and no one else but he's superman so that's fine he can handle it obviously he was qb 16 he didn't have anyone to throw to and they didn't ask him to throw because they didn't have anyone to throw to but here's the thing about cam newton cam newton is like the epitome of consistent excellence you know to an extent when we're looking at top five seasons because that's what this is why i'm interested in cam newton because he has the potential to put up a top five season it's going to be top he like he has a high floor because he's such a good rusher but he has that elite potential he can be a top five quarterback here are the leaders in top five season rate since entering the nfl the of quarterbacks drafted since 2003 so number one deshaun watson he has been a top five quarterback 75 percent of the time the time he missed was when he was a rookie and he got hurt like five games in and he was on a quarterback one pace like quarterback one overall pace sean watson's like he prints money basically if you're playing fantasy and you don't have Deshaun Watson you should try to get him too because he's automatic Aaron Rodgers is the next best with 56.25% of his seasons being top five Patrick Mahomes 50% of his seasons have been top five Kyler Murray 50% of his seasons have been top five Russell Wilson 44% of his seasons have been top five and then we have Cam Newton with 40% of his seasons being top five that's everyone that's everyone that has a more consistent top five rate than Cam Newton which is to say Cam Newton is one of the best bets at having a top five season they've just upgraded the entire offense around cam newton this is happening cam newton has top five upside this year so what can you buy him for well according to dynasty football uh trade analyzer his value is roughly the equivalent of the 2.12 in a super flex league i would give that up every single day there isn't a world in which i'm not falling over myself to give my 2.12 to get cam newton that's an easy buy easy buy and then they have this thing where they have suggested suggested additions so these are the players that are valued, you know, a little bit above Cam Newton, but in the same ballpark. We got Chase Edmonds. I'd give a gone. Cam Newton for Chase Edmonds, easy. Melvin Gordon, eh, that'd be a little closer for me. I think Melvin Gordon might have a good season. Evan Ingram, eh, probably maybe in a extreme tight end premium league. I'd rather have Ingram. Devontae Parker, get out of here. Will Fuller, nah, eh, we'll see where he lands. Probably not though. Kenyon Drake, easily gone. Ben Roethlisberger, yeah, he's not going to be a top five quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger is like the low floor play, right? Or the high floor play, right? Like he's going to be, you know, Q- QB 15 at worst. And he's probably going to be QB 15 at worst almost every single week. Like he's, he's never going to have those huge clunkers. Cam 
Cam Newton could have some clunkers, but Cam Newton could be a top five quarterback and top five quarterbacks win you your championship. Ben Roethlisberger can't win you your championship. I'm sorry. He can help, but he can't win it. And then Michael Gallup, uh, this one's a tough one. I'd, I'd, I'd take Cam Newton, but uh, if you're in a rebuild, I'd, I'd maybe hold on to Gallup. It's hard to say. The bottom line in looking at all of this is that if you do not have Cam Newton on your squad, as soon as possible, you are committing fantasy football malpractice. We interrupt this production to let you know that the next section on Johnny Smith was actually recorded before Hunter Henry signed. So the Hunter Henry sign kind of ruins everything, but actually doesn't because it really doesn't affect anything on Johnny Smith about what I talk about next. Uh, but just to give you a bit of a spoiler, I want even less John Smith than I did before. So uh, let's carry on. So next we need to talk about Jonu Smith and how he has done exactly nothing in his entire time in the NFL. His career to date is extremely uninspiring. His career high is 448 receiving yards. That's the best season of his career. In the best season of his career, he had 448 receiving yards. Anthony Ferkser, a fellow tight end, had 387. Jonu Smith wasn't good enough to make Anthony Ferkser irrelevant. He's definitely not going to be a difference-making tight end at the NFL level at any point. And I get it, like, his his career stats are not impressive. I get that. He played in Tennessee where the forward pass goes to die. But was he efficient at least? And no, of course he wasn't. He had 6.9 yards per target in an efficient offense. That's tight end 19. Tight end 19. His true catch rate was 80.4%. That's number 36. Tight end 36. That's worse than Mike Jacecki. That's so bad. His yards per outrun, 1.63, number 13 in the league. That was okay. Wasn't good, but it was okay. So, like, we're talking about a Mike Jacecki level efficiency kind of player. This isn't someone you want to buy in on. Last year, he finished as a tight end one. He was tight end 12, right on the nose. He had 10 fantasy points per game, but his the way he got there is just, it's just funny. It does, Like, it's, it's just funny. He had 448 receiving yards, as I mentioned. That was tight end 20, so he didn't do it on touchdowns. He had nine touch, or he didn't do it on yardage. He had nine touchdowns. A 20.9% touchdown rate. He outperformed the touchdowns that he, or the, he outperformed his yardage by nearly double. He outperformed this catch touchdown rate by, I don't know, almost triple. He was the number three tight end in touchdowns. That's how he got to be tight end 12. It was all touchdowns. Cam Newton's touchdown rate, 4.4%. In 2020, it was 2.2%. Ryan Tannehill's touchdown rate last year was 7.1%. There is major regression coming in that department for Jonu Smith. Major regression coming. And then and then there's this whole other narrative out there. You know, the, the Patriots have a long history of featuring the tight end. If you just look at their targets, the tight ends, every year, it's really, really good. So, like, they're going to feature Jonu. And I mean, I get it, but here's the thing. Usage is driven by personnel, more so than scheme. Good coaches put good players in position to score fantasy points. So when Gronk was on the field, they really featured Gronk because Gronk's one of the best tight ends we've ever seen. So of course they did. I was actually tagged in a tweet today and it said that we should expect tight end usage similar to the Josh McDaniels-led teams in these specific years, 2006, 2012, 2014, 2015, and 2017. I thought it's weird years to pick. So I didn't go back and look at 2006 because it's... I mean, it's forever ago. It doesn't really matter. But 2012, 14, 15, and 17, and I thought, well, 
What's going on here? So I went to Gronk's player page on Pro Football Reference, and I looked up those specific years. 2012, Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez combined for about 1,200 yards. In 2014, Gronk had 1,100 yards. In 2015, Gronk had 1,100 yards. And 2017, Gronk had 1,100 yards. And I thought, well, that might be why the usage spikes in those years. What happened in the other years? What happened in the years in between? Well, in 2013, Gronk only played seven games. In 2016, Gronk only played eight games. In 2018, Gronk was basically playing his way into retirement. And then in 2019, Gronk was retired. And then in 2020, Gronk played in Tampa. You know who they didn't feature in those years? The backup tight ends that were taking Gronk's spot. They only feature the tight end when it's Rob Gronkowski because good coaches feature good players. That's how it works. These guys own their volume when they are elite assets. Jonu Smith is not an elite asset. He's playing with Anthony Ferkser and he's giving up the same number of targets almost. They're not comparable at all. Do not expect Gronk usage. Expect the opposite. Expect the... 2013 and the 2016 and the 2018 and the 2019 and the 2020 usage. That's what you should expect. I mean, maybe a little better than 2020. Johnny Smith is a lot better player than Ryan Izzo is. So there is that. It'll be a little better than that. But the point, the moral of the story here is it's not a scheme thing. It's a player thing. It's a personnel thing. If you have Rob Gronkowski on your team, you feature Rob Gronkowski. Johnny Smith doesn't have that kind of pull. He is not the center of the universe. Like, he's not the sun in the offense where everything comes to him. Rob Gronkowski is. He has the gravitational pull. John o. Smith's a guy in the offense. He's a role player. He's a good role player, but he's still a role player. What can we expect from John in 2021? Well, Cam averages 32 attempts per game. As I mentioned, John career high was a 16% target share while splitting time with Anthony Ferkser. Could it go up? Sure, of course it could, but let's presume it doesn't. Let's presume he duplicates his career best season cam goes back to his average that gives us 32 attempts at 16 percent that's five targets per game times 16 games is 82 targets that puts him firmly in the tight ends don't matter range he will be in the you know tight end 15 to 6 6 to 15 somewhere in there maybe a little lower he'll be a fringe tight end one completely irrelevant so if you're buying johnny smith you are either hoping for Cam to have one of the best seasons of his career in terms of volume, or you need Jonu to expand his target share by almost six percentage points just to get to a tight ends matter level. Six percentage points. That's a huge upgrade for a fifth year player. We're not talking about a guy going from rookie year to year two or year two to year three. We're talking about a guy going into year five. Now there is precedent for these types of things happening where players change team. They have a new situation. You know, everything changes. I sincerely doubt it. If he was just like, if he was making Anthony Ferkser irrelevant, then okay, we can talk about it. But he wasn't. Ferkser and Jonu were basically equal last year, except Jonu got a whole bunch of touchdowns and Ferkser never. That's the difference. Betting on Jonu to fill Gronk's shoes is wishing upon a star. So let's talk Corey Davis. Corey Davis has got signed by the New York Jets. And Corey Davis is, he's honestly my favorite disappointment. As far as players go, Corey Davis is a guy that I've, I've been into for a long time. I'm not going to lie, he has always let us down. But let's talk about why, because that's why we're here. We're here to learn about why we need to go buy Corey Davis. He's got some of the Jets. It's exciting. It's exciting. Like, get pumped. Like, Corey Davis's career, like I said, has been marred in disappointment. He's he's averaged in his career 50.9 yards per game. That ain't going to cut it. That's not good. But... 
when you look at Courtney Davis' sophomore comps, sophomore comps is something I've been doing this year. This is the first year I've been doing it. And when I go back in time and look at them, they're remarkably accurate. So Corey Davis's sophomore comps, sophomore comps is built using a uh, rookie year point per game, their ADP trends, their PFF receiving grade, and their and their prospect profile grade. So they, the grade that I give them as a prospect. Corey Davis was a coin flip prospect. Uh, you can make a pretty easy argument that he should have been bulletproof because he was top five pick, but I've never made the adjustment for top five picks. Something I may be looking to in the future. Here's where we're at. We have Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, Alshon Jeffrey, Eric Decker, Michael Gallup. All of those guys hit top 24 seasons. And then Stephen Hill, who did not hit. We have five hits and one miss. And of those hits, four of them have hit top... 12 seasons the only one who hasn't is eric or is uh, michael gallup who is in his you know going into his fourth year so he's still got time Corey davis has a lot of really good comps his rookie year was good enough to put him into a group of these guys his prospect profile is good enough to put him into a group of these guys oh and he's an alpha he's an alpha i forgot to mention he's an alpha he's big he's you know he's big enough to to carry the load on the outside which is what he's done since he's been in the nfl as i mentioned he's been a disappointment but we need to discover why he's been a disappointment because that's a big thing here his target share in 2018 was 26.4%, 2019 was 16.8%, 2020 was 23.1%. As soon as the 2019 season ended, one of his teammates said, I don't forget exactly what he said, but something along the lines of Courtney Davis played with turf toe the entire friggin' year. That's why we see this huge drop in per, in uh, role in the offense. As soon as he was back to full strength in 2020, they bumped him right back up to 23.1. So we're looking at a three-year average of 22.1%. That's including the turf toe year. If we take out the turf toe year, we're looking at 24.75%. Corey Davis is a big part of the offense. He always has been, and he probably always will be because these guys own their volume. Once you have an established player getting a certain amount of volume year over year over year, they own it. The only thing that changes it is, you know, injury or pretty pretty much injury usually. So those target shares by year, they're enough to be a top 24 top 24 wide receiver in fantasy football. The issue for Corey Davis has been the Tennessee Titans. That's what the problem is. That's why he's been a perpetual disappointment. It's nothing to do with Corey Davis. It has to do with the Titans. In 2018, the Titans had 27.3 pass attempts per game. In 2019, it was 26.9. And in 2020, it was 30.1. The ranks in those years, 31, 32, and 30. They were a bottom three volume year over year over year. Corey Davis's entire career has been marred in the lowest volume offenses you can find in football. That's why he's been a disappointment. He has two seasons inside the top 30 and none inside the top 24. It has everything to do with that volume. So my question for you is, will that change? So then we need to look at Corey Davis played with A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is universally lauded as one of the best wide receivers in football. I agree. A.J. Brown is a fantastic football player. A.J. Brown had a 25.8% target share last year. Corey Davis nearly matched him with 23.1. They both ate. That means Corey Davis is also very good. I put up a poll on Twitter asking, you know, a blind poll. It was, which list of cornerbacks is a more difficult schedule? Over 70% of respondents voted that Corey Davis played the more difficult cornerback schedule than A.J. Brown did last year. Corey Davis is already playing the alpha role. He played it with A.J. Brown on the team. That ain't going to change. Anybody they have in New York isn't A.J. Brown. Denzel Mims isn't good. If he was, he would be better. He, he dominated one year out of four in college. In college! Denzel Mims... Played one season with Jalen Hurd. Jalen Hurd transferred, played wide receiver the first time in his life, and outproduced Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims isn't good. 
That's why he got a bad grade for me. He he only produced one out of four seasons. He got outproduced by a first-time wide receiver. He was a senior declare. He was a senior. Like, there's just nothing really to like about the Denzel Mims prospect profile. He face planted this, or he face planted as a rookie. He lost value. His complices are terrible. And now Corey Davis is there, and Corey Davis now has the easiest competition he's had in two years. Jameson Crowder's a nice player, but he's a slot player. Like, Corey Davis will eat Jameson Crowder's lunch. That's without question. So last year, 2020, Davis missed two games, but he's still on pace for 1,125 receiving yards on a team with the 30th most volume in the world. 30th! The sky is the limit for Corey Davis. If he can get out of this bottom tier offense into an offense that actually passes the ball forward. Like they believe in the forward pass. That's what Corey Davis needs. Last year in 2020, his yards per target was 10.7. That was wide receiver eight in the world. His yards per route run was 2.67. That was number four in the world. His PFF grade was eighth in the NFL at 87.2. Corey Davis was a top wide receiver in football last year. To think anything otherwise is just silliness. Well, all that being said, now we're looking at the New York Jets, right? New York Jets were one of the lowest passing offenses in all of football last year. But we're smart enough to realize that was Adam Gase. And Adam Gase has fired it along with the entire coaching staff. Coaching philosophy dictates passing volume. That's why we care about coaches. Most of them don't matter because they're all kind of the same. But some of them do matter. Like, say, Mike Vrabel instructing his offensive coordinators to pass for the bottom of the league pass volume year over year over year. And by the way, that predates Mike Rabel into the, uh, what was it, the exotic smash mouth era? Like, the, the Tennessee Titans have this organizational philosophy of running the football, and it doesn't make sense because they're very analytically focused. If you look at their draft picks, like, Jonu Smith was, well, he didn't, he wasn't very good in my process, but he's good in a lot of other people's process. Corey Davis is a good prospect. AJ Brown's a good prospect. He's got Tajay Sharp. For a fifth-round pick, he had a good profile. Like, they're looking at the right detail. Marcus Mariota is one of the best prospects we've ever seen, like, from a analytical perspective, it didn't work out, but I mean, sometimes it doesn't, right? Like it's, we're playing probabilities. The Tennessee Titans front office focuses on the right details. Their coaching staff does not. Hard to blame them though. Like they have Derrick Henry who can just plow through everyone. But before they were using Derrick Henry, they were doing with Deion Lewis and that obviously wasn't going to work. Anyways, I'm going to stop ranting on that. New York Jets head coach and offensive coordinator coming from San Francisco and the Kyle Shanahan way of doing things. San Francisco was 20th in pass attempts at 33.2 pass attempts per game last year. The New York Jets, I I have a hard time seeing them be a competitive team. So I think it's reasonable to suggest that they'll be like a mid-tier passing offense given that the coaches last year in San Francisco did pass the ball. They weren't Adam Gase. So if we take and do some... Some high-level projections. We're not going to get, like, really into the meat and potatoes of the projections because I, I never really do. I just look at, like, high-level what's possible. So we take the 33.2 pass attempts that the San Francisco 49ers had last year times 16 games. That's 531 attempts. Corey Davis's three-year average is 22%. That's 100 target share, 22% target share. That's 117 targets. If we use his non-turf toe target share, it's 24.75% at 131 targets. So we're talking about a guy who should be firmly in the wide receiver two conversation who could push wide receiver one volume. That could happen. Now we take his yards per target. His career yards per target is 8.4, but we're going to drop his rookie season because we should always drop rookie seasons. Rookie seasons aren't fair for wide receivers. That's why I use sophomore comps. I compare rookie year to rookie year. So we're going to drop the rookie year. That brings Corey Davis's yards per target career average to 9.07. 117 targets times 907s, 1,061 yards. 131 targets times 907s, 1,188 yards. 
We're talking about a guy who has a likely 1,200-yard season this year. That's what I'm expecting from him. He'll be firmly in the wide receiver two conversation. There's a chance he gets into the wide receiver one conversation. So what can you buy him for? This obviously isn't updated as he just got signed literally today. So I go to Dice League Football Trade Analyzer, right? They they tell me what he's worth. And what they say he's worth in a super flex league is the 208 pick in rookie drafts. I think that's a perfectly fair price. I'm not paying the 208 because I like the players that are available there this year. But if you're not following the bulletproof prospect process or some other process that's really good, then you may want to just trade for the 208 because you might end up with like a Henry Ruggs or something like that at that pick. And and that's just never going to cut it. You can, you can pick a Denzel Mims at that pick this year. That would be terrible. You don't want to do that. You want to focus on the right details and get guys that are actually good. We're going to get some at 208 this year. So don't trade your 208. What you should do instead the Dynasty League Football Trade Analyzer tells us who his value is the same as or similar as. So they suggest trading him for like a Jalen Waddle, an Irv Smith Jr., a Dallas Godert, a Denzel Mims, and a Ronald Jones. That's who they think you can just trade straight up for him. I think that's fair. I would trade any of those guys. There's a couple other guys, but I wouldn't trade them for Corey Davis. I like that. Like Rashad Bateman. Give me Rashad Bateman every time. Rashad Bateman's a bulletproof alpha. Like we're talking high probability of hitting. And then I just went to the Dynasty League Football ADP. And looked at who is around Corey Davis. These are guys that are going in, in Superflex League, going right beside Corey Davis. So we have Raheem Mostert. I did a video on Raheem Mostert like two weeks ago. He's fool's gold. Punt him. Get out of here. Give me Corey Davis. Cole Komet. You can, Cole Komet is going ahead of Corey Davis in startups. Or was before this New York Jets signing. That's crazy. Cole Komet? Like, come on. Punt him. Get him out of here. Robert Tanyan. Move on. Johnu Smith. I don't know if you can still get Corey Davis for Johnu Smith now that Hunter Henry signed there. But maybe, you know, everyone's talking the Gronk Hernandez thing. This isn't the Gronk Hernandez thing for what it's worth. Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry are definitely not Gronk. I don't know if either guy or Hernandez. It's hard to know. But, like, come on. No. Hard pass. So, if you can trade Johnu Smith for Corey Davis, you should do it. If you can trade Kenyon Drake, you should do it. Jordan Love, beat it. Darnell Mooney is a guy that is going just below Corey Davis and Darnell Mooney is probably someone that you can maybe add a third to and get a Corey Davis because people have this like obsession with young players. There's just like this eternal optimism that that just manifests in people. They think that Darnell Mooney can be good and and maybe he can. But his rookie year was nothing it was good for a day 3 pick, but it was nothing special in the grand scheme of the NFL. His prospect profile was okay and his, you know, draft capital sucked. So he is an extreme risk for just like disappearing overnight. Like he could be Darius Slayton very easily. And then we got other guys like Marvin Jones, Jamar Jefferson, Zach Moss, Devontae Parker, like any of those guys. Trade them straight up for Corey Davis. Add thirds, add fourths, whatever. Go get Corey Davis. Corey Davis has been extremely disappointing to this point in his career. But I think... I'm betting on him having a Robert Woods type second half to his career. He's 26 years old. He's now in a position where he's out of that frustratingly low volume offense where he can now flourish. They're going to draft probably a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields. The Jets are going to have some good players and they have maybe good coaches. Who knows? Hopefully they don't have league worst coaches like he had in Tennessee. That's really what it comes down to. I'm buying Corey Davis and I think you should too. 